Good evening, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm David Mackerath. I'm a Christian, unashamedly so, having trusted Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for the provision of everlasting life. He died for me on the cross of Calvary, and his blood has cleansed me, cleansed me from his sins, from my sins. And his resurrection is, the Lord Jesus was without sin. That was a slip of the tongue. Um, the Lord Jesus has cleansed me from my sins and his resurrection is the guarantee of my everlasting life. So we're thinking tonight of the topic of the last battle. And this is this is a really important topic for us as Christians. It's really important that we um, consider these things because they're in the Bible, uh, because they're important to God. They are important to us. They're important to the world. Uh, and because knowing about these things helps us to be ready the days in which we live and prepared for the days in which we live. Uh, welcome, Marcus, and uh, welcome, Sully Deo Gloria. The Lord bless you. So we are living in uh, momentous times, times when the return of the Lord Jesus Christ seems to be very near indeed. Uh, and as Christians, we need not be ignorant about these things, but we can know what God has to say, um, what he wants us to know, what he's revealed to us in his word in the Bible. Now, I remember as, as a child, um, there was a book by C.S. Lewis, part of the Narnia series called The Last Battle. I remember sitting as a child, what, seven or eight, um, in a class every evening, we would have some of this Lewis read to us. And uh, as a child, your imagination soars, and these books are just extraordinarily powerful. Because we've grown up since then, but there is nevertheless a last battle. And the last battle that um, we can come to understand from the scriptures and a last battle, the Battle of Armageddon, which we can also um, study uh, and which should cause us to look up and rejoice in what God is doing and have strong confidence in our God that all the wicked of this world will be swept away and all those evil schemes and all those evil things and all the powers of darkness that are arranged against us will be swept away by God in his glory. Uh, and when he arises, to deal with the inhabitants of the earth. Now, we're looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I think this will be our last study on Ezekiel 38 and 39. We've considered how God um, brought Israel back into the land, firmly um, revealed to us in these two chapters. Uh, we've considered um, how uh, God, uh, his plan was to deliver Israel from all of her enemies and to save the Jewish people. And we're living in those days between the two, the the Jews coming back into their land and the defeat of all Israel's enemies and the conversion of the Jews so that their eyes are opened and they see Jesus Christ for who he is. He is the, he is the saviour of the world, but he's also the Jewish Messiah, the one they've been looking for for all these years. It's been right in front of them, but they've been blinded in part. And um, we... Uh, so let's let's turn to the Bible, which is the Word of God, and let's read Ezekiel 39 together. Now, we, we are, this is a Bible study, so we are going to look at quite a few um, verses in Scripture this evening. I think after this, I'll be changing the format and making it simpler uh, and perhaps not covering so much material in such short spaces of time so that um, we can spend more time on, on, on um, the information, on the teaching that we, we will benefit us, encourage us, uh, edify us build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm reading from Ezekiel chapter 39, um, the whole chapter. Let us hear the word of God. Therefore, thou son of man, 
prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire, and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows, and the arrows, and the handstaves, and the spears. And they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests. For they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all, <coughs> excuse me, all the people of the land shall bury them. And it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land, to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the buriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamona, thus shall they cleanse the land. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come and gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great <clears throat> sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink uh, blood, the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you be full, and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, 
have I done unto them and hid my face from them. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity <coughs> among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Hallelujah for that day when God will pour out his spirit on the house of Israel. Father, we pray that you give us understanding and we pray you'd help us also to read these things for ourselves and to grow in our knowledge and understanding. And Lord, give us more light, we pray. Give us more understanding and feed us from your word. I pray that everybody, each one of us, Lord, will be challenged and stirred and strengthened and fired up and cause to rejoice and worship and delight because of the great things that you have done and that you are doing in these days. Also help us to be a warning to those around us to flee from the wrath to come, Lord, and to call all men everywhere, all people everywhere, to repentance from their sin and to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask for ourselves as well that if the Lord Jesus were to appear today, even that we would be ready for him, that we would be found ready and waiting and prepared, Lord, like the wise virgins, Lord, that we would have oil in our lamps, that we'd be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. And we long for your return, Lord Jesus. We long for that day when you will be revealed on the clouds of heaven in that glory which belongs to you alone. And we know that we'll be caught up in that day and transformed in the twinkling of an eye and made like you. And we long for that day too, Lord. Help us not to be so rooted in this world. Help us to desire heaven and to be weary of this world, Lord, but also to have strong confidence in the things that you have said and in the things that you have written in your word. So we ask that your word would be written upon our hearts, and we ask for the forgiveness of our sins and cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ, Father, your Son, our Saviour. And we ask that you be with us now and give us unction and liberty from your Holy Spirit. And this we ask and pray in Jesus' precious and most holy name. Amen. Amen. If you forgive me if I have a sip of water because I've got a bit of a frog in my throat there. Okay, welcome merrily and um, welcome Disciple of Jesus Ministries. So now I can remember back, I can't remember, I became a Christian in the 1980s, but in the 1970s it was um, it was uh, the late great uh, Planet Earth that was written by Hal Lindsey and um, uh, and everybody was expecting that the Lord Jesus might return in the 1970s. In the 1980s, he continued to write, and everybody thought that the Lord Jesus would return in the 1980s. But he didn't return in the 1970s, and he didn't return in the 1980s or the 90s, and he still hasn't returned, the Lord Jesus. But he will return. Now, it was said that um, as a result of this, people got tired of um, eschatology. They got tired of uh, premillennial eschatology in particular, and quite a few people turned to Reconstructionism, post-millennialism, and uh, to the idea that we need to change the world for the Lord Jesus Christ by getting involved in politics as Christians. Well, all of that's another topic, but um, we need to be aware that the Lord Jesus' return is very, very near. 
and we need to be aware that things in the scriptures are being fulfilled. And if uh, if Hal Lindsay got uh, many things wrong at that time, particularly the timing, although he wasn't somebody who gave the day or the hour, then we need to be aware that um, these things are much closer now than they were then. And the more we read biblical prophecy and the more we study it and the more we try to understand it, the more we'll be blessed by it, encouraged, fired up and prepared for the days to come. So I don't know how much of this I'm going to get through this evening, but um, we, um, we hopefully we'll get through quite a lot of it. Um, but today we all need to be serious students of Bible prophecy um, and uh, so that these things don't take us unawares, so that we as Christians are not the ones who are surprised um, by the things that take place. Now, I don't think we will be, but to be well versed in these things is to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ is what we need to be if we're going to get through all the trials and difficulties which are to come. So welcome, H.W., um, and good evening. Um, also, the end is that we would um, have, strong, yeah, have strong confidence in the power and might and the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the Lord Jesus told us that, uh, that the scripture cannot be broken, that uh, not one jot or tittle will fail. All of these things will come to pass. But I want to, um, okay, so I was going to say, first of all, um, uh, let's recognize this. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, we have God is the one who brings the nations against Israel. Uh, and it's his plan, it's his purpose from of old to do this. But at the same time, he holds them morally accountable for their actions. So we read um, that... In verse 18, for example, of uh, Ezekiel 38, and it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. So God's wrath is kindled by these nations coming against Israel. His, de his determination is to defend Israel. No weapon against Israel can prosper. And although God is the one himself who brought these nations um, against Israel, he is the one who brought them so that he might judge them, so that he might destroy these armies, so that his glory would be revealed, and so that um, the people of Israel would look upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah and their Savior from sin, and the whole of the nations also would acknowledge him to be God. There's no question this is an extraordinarily great event. It's not just um, uh, telling us about a battle at some point in history or something that's already been fulfilled. God has very specific and very great purposes in this war of Gog and Magog. And in fact, they're in verse, um, no, you see this. Um, yeah. Okay, so God talks about him, um, yes. So verse 17 of Ezekiel 38, he says, Thus saith the Lord God, art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. Many years. So there was much prophecy. It's as though this is the end of history he's talking about here. This is something extraordinary. This is something unique. This is something important because God says it's important. This is something that God has been working towards. Remember that God is sovereign he is the sovereign of all history it was his purpose that everything would lead up to the cross and after the cross and ascension of jesus resurrection and ascension of jesus everything would lead up to this last battle well, let's call it the battle of armageddon in fact at this point let me read revelation chapter um, 16 and verse 16 because that's where we have the phrase armageddon 
Now, you may be wondering whether I'm going to call the Gog and Magog Wars um, the Battle of Armageddon. Well, that's a good question. So here we are, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And so the, there we are. That's that's the, the where Armageddon is, where the last battle takes place um, in Revelation. There. Well, I want to. We we consider. You see, you see, there are several very great battles that have yet to take place, which are spoken of in various books of the Bible. Huge battles. Now the question is this: um, Are these battles yet to take place the same battle, or are they multiple battles? Now I just want to leave that question open because we're going to have to come to our own mind and own decision about that certainly there are many who believe that the gog and magog wars take place before the start of the millennium the, the tribulation the seven-year tribulation period uh, and one of the reasons given for that is because there's a seven-year period of burying bones from the gog and magog wars here but we need to remember also that that um, in revelation 20 and it does say this is after the millennium um there is the outpouring of God's fire from heaven upon Satan and the armies of the world that come against, which are described as Gog and Magog, and come against the beloved city and the saints of God. We'll have to look at that more. Um, we're being challenged here. But if we argue that these battles are all different battles, we can end up with the following scenario. First of all, uh, we believe that there is a Gog and Magog war which starts at the beginning of um, a seven-year tribulation period. And then we believe that during the tribulation period, there is the 200 million men in the kings of the east who come uh, from the east, which kills a third of um, mankind. That's in the book of Revelation. And um, so that's a second huge war. And, uh, and then we believe there's a third war, which is the uh, Battle of Armageddon, which takes place at the end when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, returns. So that's, so that's a third war. And then we um, believe there's an, a fourth war that takes place after that of extraordinary magnitude when God pours out his fire on Gog and Magog and Satan and his armies, which come against the beloved city in Revelation 20. So that would be um, World War Three, World War Four, World War Five, and World War Six. Um, uh, and so the question is, are these, are these separate wars or are they all the same war? Uh, and I, I don't have all the answers, but there is... A lot of cross-referencing in scripture we can do, as, as I'm saying, the, the idea here is to encourage you to look. I, I, I'm inclined to believe that these are all one wall. <laughs> but with each, but there are difficulties associated with that. Some of you will strongly disagree with that. But um, one of the arguments might go this, that if, if, if the Gog and Magog war or the army of 200 million men um, is so significant that it causes uh, that it causes a nuclear conflagration or huge armies to be defeated in massive conflict. And maybe when it talks about people riding in, on horses and horseback against Jerusalem and uh, uh, into Israel uh, at the Battle of Armageddon, then these uh, this is true that there are no modern weapons left. That they are using bows and arrows and they are using um, uh, ancient weapons because there are no modern weapons left. Well, uh, I, I'm not sure I go along with that, but um, but there's no doubt in Scripture it talks about horses and, and riders. Um, and, of course, when the Lord Jesus returns in Revelation chapter 19, we will be on horses um, following him when he comes on the clouds of heaven, once we've been caught up, once we've been raptured, and once we ourselves are um, transformed and glorified. Um, so 
we have all of this um, in Scripture, and my purpose is not to force you to agree with me, um, uh, but to encourage you to think about these things, read these things, uh, and reread them, and, and 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 gradually come to your own conclusions. It's quite sure that um, that all of us are wrong about something when it comes to eschatology. I'm sure of that. Um, but at the same time, um, as time goes on and we see what happens, then we will see. Um, we will see what happens and we'll have a better understanding of prophecy and scripture. And we would expect to gain a better understanding. I think there's indications in the scripture that God will give the generations involved in these things, better understanding. Uh, some of these things are sealed up until the end. Uh, and if we're at the end, then they'll be unsealed so that we can see them and we can understand them. Prophecies in scripture that become unsealed for us to understand. So when do these things take place? Also, I think, remember that, um, when the Antichrist comes in, many people believe that he'll come in as, as a man of peace. And, of course, you can't really have a man of peace if there's not either war or the threat of war going on. And that seems to be um, what might be going on. So these, these are unanswered questions. Um, another thing to point out is this, um, and that is that in the book of Revelation, we, it's not a standalone book. Um, although it's got much prophecy in it, very much of the book of Revelation is rooted in the book of Isaiah, for example, the book of Ezekiel, which we've been looking at, for example, and the book of Daniel, plus other Old Testament books. And therefore, familiarity with these books and cross-referencing with um, Revelation is really important that we actually look at the whole of Scripture and we start to uh, build our knowledge of these other books as well and how they dovetail together to give us one picture of what may happen. Well, let's let's move on then to the judgment of God against Gog and Magog. God and Magog are absolutely to be destroyed um, and their armies are to be destroyed and uh, only one sixth of them will be left of those armies. God's wrath is kindled against Gog of Magog. In this, in this war that's been planned for, 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 for a very long time, this war that God has been looking to and he's going to bring the nations of the world and contend with them and defeat them and destroy them uh, and awaken his people Israel. There are some similarities, therefore, in this passage with um, other passages. And um, so there, there's, first of all, there's the earthquake, for example. Um, and we read that, we read about the earthquake in Ezekiel 38, verses 19 and 20. This is one of God's judgments that occurs. And it helps us to, uh, to understand the time scale of these things. So in verses um, 19, uh, 20, uh, 19 and 20, for in my jealousy, God says, and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. Some of you who've followed my open-air preaching. I know that's not everybody, but some of you who've... John, welcome. It's good to see you, brother. Um, and uh, But some of you who followed my open-air preaching in Hull will know that um, on one occasion I stood up and I said, you can be absolutely sure of this, and that is that Hull will be destroyed by an earthquake. And um, that seems a strange thing to preach in the open air. But we read of an earthquake in Revelation that's going to destroy the cities of the nation and uh, nations. And Hull is a city of the nations. London is a city of the nations. New York is a city of the nations. Tokyo is a city of the nations. 
So in Revelation 16, verses 18 and 19, we read as follows. And there were voices and thunderings and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So there's, another, there's a great earthquake described in Ezekiel 38, and there's a great earthquake, similar earthquake described in Ezekiel, in Revelation 16, verses 18, 19, which shakes the whole earth and in which the cities of the nations fall. Uh, and um, it's a, a manifestation of the fierceness of God's wrath against the world for its unbelief, for its sin. And I would say, because they have the mark of the beast, of course, if, if Ezekiel 38, the Gog and Magog wars occur, before the tribulation, then it will occur before the mark of the beast. But I would say this is God's wrath against those who have the mark of the beast and who seek. God is calling them all to a war against himself, a war they can't win. Well, let's look at um, a third passage, and that's in Zechariah, um, which is the penultimate book in um, the, the Old Testament, Zechariah 14 and verse 4. Zechariah 14 and verse 4 reads as follows. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, ye, yea, ye shall flee. So here is another great earthquake in which the Mount of Olives splits in uh, in. Um, in Revelation, we have a, an earthquake that splits Jerusalem into three parts. And here we have Jesus' feet standing on the Mount of Olives in the day when that earthquake occurs. It seems that this comes at the very end. Now, I remember um, a certain preacher who had great respect for preaching to uh, a certain congregation. And that congregation was a minister who was very, very skeptical about the things I'm saying at the moment. But he said at the end of it to that preacher, this was more than 30 years ago, um, uh, that uh, he had persuaded him that Jesus' feet one day would truly stand on the Mount of Olives, that this wasn't just spiritual, as some are saying, but this was actually the literal placing of the Lord Jesus Christ's feet upon the Mount of Olives. And I believe that this is literal, that one day there'll be this earthquake and Jesus' feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. So there's uh, this earthquake coming. We find God's judgments against Gog and Magog in the form of an earthquake which shakes the nations. And we find the same in Revelation, an earthquake which shakes the nations so that the cities of the nations fall and divides Jerusalem. And in Zechariah, we find a dividing of the Mount of Olives. Now, I think if you were to ask premillennial um, teachers what the dividing of the Mount of Olives and the city is, it talks elsewhere about this, the half of Jerusalem going into captivity. And the others, it might seem, flee, and they flee to the Valley of Megiddo where um, these armies come against them. One of the objections to what I'm saying from Patrick Fairburn, who published his um, extraordinary um, uh, commentary in 1861, affirming um, that the Jews would return to the land, is that um, one of the objections to the idea that this is all the same war, or he tends to that view, is that uh, in um, in Joel, we talk about the Valley of Jehoshaphat. In uh, Ezekiel, we talk about... Um, the mountains of Israel, and in in 
Revelation, we talk about the beloved city and and Armageddon, and then in also in Zechariah, we talk of the valleys of the hills, and these are four different places. Uh, and I would argue this: if this war really involves Gog of Magog with all these nations and this army from the east and all the nations coming against Jerusalem, then Israel's going to be under attack from every side by vast hordes. Remember that this is a great multitude, and in um, it's possible that in Joel it's talking about a, a vast horde, a vast multitude of hundreds of millions of men coming against Israel from every direction. So maybe it's not one place, but it's everywhere all at once where this attack is taking place. And although there may be specific focuses of the battle, such as the Valley of Megiddo and such as um, such as Jerusalem, there is such a vast horde that they are defeated everywhere, including on the mountains of Israel. That's 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 what I'm thinking about that. You may study this for yourself. And then another form of judgment uh, we find that God is sending upon uh, Gog of Magog is the birds, the birds to eat their flesh and tear and eat them. And um, in Ezekiel 39, verse 4, And uh, thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, unto the beasts of the field, to be devoured. Uh, and we read that also um, further on in this passage. I'm just trying to look for the, um, yes, verse 17 there. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. So that, that's that's an extraordinary judgment of God, and, and he has prepared these birds of prey to eat these fast, um, this vast army that's going to be defeated by the, um, the armies, uh, by, by the Lord, supernaturally, by Almighty God. If we turn over to Revelation 19 and verses 17 and 18, Revelation 19 and verses 17 and 18, we read as follows. <clears throat> Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and of the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And so um, it's really important to note this happens, this eating of flesh and this prophecy and revelation happens immediately at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, because this is happened in Revelation 19, we read about um, uh, about, about the Lord Jesus Christ, um, uh, verse 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness doth he doth judge and make war. And um, we read, uh, read more about him um, and uh, verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. That sharp sword is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And that sharp sword is the word of God and he'll smite the nations with his word. He will judge them according to his word. He will measure them up against his law, against his commandments, uh, and reveal their sins to them. But he comes um, as the King of kings and Lord of the lords. We have here a, um, 
we have here a, a description of the Lord Jesus at his second coming. And of course, we will be with him, following him um, with his holy angels um, as he returns and as he wages wars, war against his enemies. And we have the same thing, the eating of flesh, the preparation of the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, the birds of prey, the hungry birds that will eat um, the corpses uh, of the, those who are slain and, 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 and uh, defeated and destroyed by the power of almighty God. So um, now that does then therefore raise the question, is this talking about the same event? Is God Gog and Magog? Is this the same event? Is it the same event? Uh, and again, that question needs to be studied. Is it the same event? Because we have the same thing here, that God has prepared these um, birds to eat um, the flesh of these, um, of these uh, army that's been slain. And then again, we have in Ezekiel 38 and 39, verse, Ezekiel 38, verse 22, we read, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will reign upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him, an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Now, that's very interesting that God is going to rain fire from heaven upon um, upon. Uh, Gog and Magog and his armies, all these armies that come against Jerusalem and come against Israel. Now, we've come across this before in a smaller sense. We've come across God raining fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah and other places in the Old Testament. Um, there was um, fire, um, fiery hail that came from um, heaven against against Egypt as one of the um, plagues that plagued Egypt. And I can't remember if it says it was mingled with blood but here it tells us that, that this, this I will rain upon him, upon his bands, upon many people that are with him, an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone, and pestilence with and with blood. And 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 um, we find in we find in Revelation twenty, Revelation twenty, and we find this again. And this is what we were saying that in Revelation twenty, that God is going to pour out fire from heaven. God is going to pour out fire from heaven on Gog and Magog. So Revelation 20, um, verse 7, and I do note that it says that this is when the thousand years are ended. Um, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So fire is sent from God out of heaven to burn up the armies of God and Gog and Magog, who have been expressly, specifically assembled by Satan to attack Jerusalem. But of course, over and above that are the sovereign purposes of God to bring them together to battle that they might be destroyed and um, receive their final judgment on the day of judgment. And then there's this interesting passage in, Eze in Zechariah 20 and verse 9. So if we turn to Zechariah, the penultimate book, um, verse 20 and verse Zechariah, there isn't a 20. It must be, uh, let me find it. I think it's, it's Zechariah 14, um, <laughs> Zechariah 20. I always do that, don't I? I write down the wrong references, and you find me struggling, and it, it's a live broadcast. Um, Zechariah 14 and I think verse 9. Let's go three down from verse 9. 
Yeah. Okay. Verse twelve. Verse twelve, and this has often been often been. Um, it talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat earlier on, but it says in verse twelve, it says, "And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes have shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth." Now that is a terrifying judgment against the army. And the suggestion is that this is the same event that it's talking about. But having said that, um, whether uh, there are those who say this is an example of nuclear weapons being used against the army, but we need to remember that in Scripture it's God who defeats the enemy, that God is able to send fire from heaven and doesn't need any nuclear weapons or any other kind of weapons, <laughs> that the fire of God can come down from heaven and judge people just in that way. But it does suggest possibly that this is very great heat that is melting um, these soldiers. Now, that's, again, terrifying. It's, again, um, a shocking reminder of the judgments of God against those um, whose wrath, um, those against whom the wrath of God is determined. It's a warning to us. It's an awakening to us that we need to be on the right side that we need to be in the winning camp. We need to be with those who are on God's side. And that means that we need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour. And uh, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ um, uh, as our saviour, um, then uh, all is well with us. And these judgments will never come to us. But if we do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then uh, um, we have a problem. Uh, our problem is that we're under the wrath of God. Our problem is that we're of our father, the devil. Our problem is that we are damned and lost and ruined. And we need to repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ whilst we have the opportunity. We may not have tomorrow. Now is the, um, today is the day of salvation and now is the acceptable time. So these are some of the things. Now I'm going to, I was going to finish up tonight, but I've actually got quite a few more scriptures to go through and I'm going to leave that for tonight um, because I think that's going to warrant a second uh, another um, talk uh, and uh, we've done three now on um, Gog and Magog and we've done three on, on, on Ezekiel 38 and 39 but these are really important things and they're also they, God, God put them in the scriptures so that we could know about them and I would challenge anyone to show me how Ezekiel 38 or 39 has ever been fulfilled it hasn't uh, and we can't trivialize this and make it some uh, tin pot little local conflict that might have happened and nobody knew about it. God has said it in this passage that it's important, that his prophets have prophesied about it from of old. The scripture is full of teaching on the last things, and there are at least there is at least one mighty, terrible war coming. Uh, and there is one final war when God will burn up his enemies. And after that will be the judgment, the final judgment, and whose service not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast into the lake of fire. So we need to be aware that God is serious in his judgments, that God will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he's appointed. That's Jesus Christ. This is from Acts 17. Uh, and he has given us the assurance that Jesus is raised from the dead, that that coming judge, that coming um, warrior who will defeat his enemies is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I say so often in the open air and say to you now that you, you can either have Jesus Christ as your saviour now from all your sin because he loved sinners and gave himself for sinners and it took, in, it, it took infinite love for Jesus Christ to love us in that way. Or you can reject him, turn your back on the love of God and the mercy of God, 
carry on in your sins, and then on the day of judgment, have him as your judge to eternal torment and damnation. God doesn't trifle with sin. God hates sin. And here God's enemies are judged for their sins. And it's not just that God's enemies are judged for their sins. You can see the enmity in the hearts of those. You can see how they want to fight against Israel. You can see how they want to come against Jerusalem and against the saints of God. Because in their hearts, there is this hatred towards God. As, if, uh, as sinners, we have hatred in our hearts towards God. We don't want the light. We were created for God's glory, but we don't want his light. We don't want him. We don't want to love him. We want to love darkness. We want to love our sins. And we want to wallow in our sins and in the mire and in the um, cesspit of our own iniquities. And you see that, that this is enmity, but you cannot fight against God. You can put all of the armies of the world together and you can have all the modern weapons and all the nuclear weapons and you can have everything, but you cannot fight against God. And in fact, one of the things I, I, I've sometimes thought is this, that, that all of this um, stuff about um, alien invasions in fiction and stuff like that, and it's all Satan preparing people, trying to persuade them that when God comes and when Jesus Christ returns, they can fight against God and win, but they can't. Satan amasses his armies. They all come together. They surround Jerusalem. And um, it looks as though there is no hope because Jerusalem can't defend itself. There's a mighty earthquake and uh, there's a fleeing. And then God's wrath is poured out and his fire comes down from heaven and it destroys all of those armies. One sixth of them is left and goes back. But then very soon after that is the end of the age and the final judgment. So you cannot fight against God. There's no weapon that you can use. You can't defend yourself against God. You can't defend yourself against the final judgment. You cannot stand against the final judgment. You cannot. Your army isn't strong enough to fight against the armies of the Lord. It doesn't matter who you are. God's final judgments will see you cast into hell. That's why you need to make peace with God. And that's why you need to turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus, who is our peacemaker and who has become our peace if we know Jesus Christ. Peace between us and Almighty God, sins taken away, everlasting life brought in, and salvation that belongs to us through Jesus Christ. Now, these are tumultuous events we've been reading about and looking at, and they're going to happen. And whether or not we see them, um, we're on the winning side if we belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, we will certainly be with the Lord Jesus when he returns and we will be riding on white horses um, uh, and we'll be perfected and we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. But to know Jesus Christ is to be on the winning side. Yes, we'll go through tribulation and we'll go through persecution and many of us perhaps will be martyred uh, and um, we'll be destitute and wandering on the hills and mountains in animal skins. And um, But God will care for us. He will look after us. The, the whole scripture is full of promises from God that he will look after his people. Uh, and not a hair of our heads will be harmed apart from God's permissive will. And his determination, God's will, is to make us perfect and to bring us to know him more and more in, in his dealings with us every day. Those Christians who think that uh, Christianity is sailing through life without a care in the world and that all God wants is just for, us to, for us to be healthy and wealthy, um, they've, they've got it wrong. God will guide and direct us. He will show us what's best for us. And God deals with us whatever our lot in life. And some of us suffer more than others. That's true. But whatever our lot in life, it will be seen that everything that God has done in our lives is full of his loving kindness and mercy. Things that we may not understand now, things that we can't see now. If we're Christians, the goodness of God, oh, the goodness of God to us. And he will bring us through. 
and he will he will glorify us and he will deliver us from these days and from the wrath to come or in these days let us look up and let us remember that we serve the god of heaven and earth and what a mighty god he is but if you don't know jesus christ please repent of your sin and turn from your sin and cast yourself on the lord jesus christ don't perish in the way don't die in your sins don't fight against god you cannot win believe on the lord jesus christ and you shall be saved father i pray that every one of us will be ready for these days and we do need more light lord we do need to understand your word better we do need to um to study the scriptures more thoroughly lord and to 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 see how scripture is the best commentary on scripture uh, and to see how the old and the new testament dovetail together lord and to see how what's found in the new testament is foretold in the old lord again i just ask for more light on this on this question of battles and armies and conflicts and defeat and destruction and as, as above all lord the second coming of the lord jesus christ for which we long with all our hearts and look forward to with exceedingly great joy and anticipation and lord jesus we would pray maranatha even so come lord jesus and lord may we be so so detached from this world and may we love you first lord if anything is in our heart that we love more than you that's a, a wicked idol lord and it will drag us down but lord help us to put away the idols of our heart hearts lord and although we know many in this world that we long to see saved lord let nothing hinder your coming lord jesus we pray for those known to us who are not saved some of us have parents who are unsaved some of us have brothers and sisters who are unsaved or a husband or a wife some of us have children who are unsaved and grandchildren, and we prayed and prayed for them. Father, hear our cries, hear our prayers, have mercy upon us and upon our households, Lord. Help us because we need your help. We are weak, Lord, pathetic. Yet even so, Lord, if we belong to you through Jesus Christ, we are your children. We belong to you, and we recognize, Lord, that though we don't always see or feel it, that everything you do with us is out of your loving mercy and loving kindness and goodness towards us. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to overcome the world by the blood of Jesus Christ. And be with us, we ask and pray, in these perplexing and momentous times. So, Father, we ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd send revival. I pray for this town of Kidderminster, that you'd send revival upon the town of Kidderminster, Lord, and upon Hull, Lord, and upon the cities of the nations before they fall, Lord. I think of Toronto. I think of New York, Lord. I think of um, Paris, Lord, that you'd have mercy upon these cities and many others beside, Lord. Oh, Lord God, have mercy in these days and revive your cause now, Lord, that the time we have left will be used for your glory, the furtherance of your kingdom and the salvation of a great multitude to stand before your throne in glory. So, Father, unworthily we, we commend ourselves to you now, but the worthiness is all, all belongs to Jesus Christ and we come in his precious and holy name. Uh, and we rejoice and thank you for him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all your goodness towards us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, there is a second half to this message, but I think that I would have overdone it if I'd said more tonight. Brummy Pilgrim, welcome, uh, and others, if I haven't um, welcomed you, um, the Lord bless you, and thank you for being with us. So, uh, no, I know, I think that the majority view of this would be that the Gog and Magog wars happen at the start of, uh, or just before the um, the seven year tribulation. Now, I do believe in the seven year tribulation. Uh, many of the people I know don't, but I do. Um, seems clear to me. But 
But um, I could get into a lot of trouble for saying that this may all be one war. But the purpose, again, is that we should think that we should think about scripture, that we should read scripture. We shouldn't just have it on somebody else's authority. We shouldn't just say, well, I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because I've been told by somebody else and everybody else I know believes that. Um, uh, and But we should search the scriptures for ourselves and uh, that we should be knowledgeable in scripture so that we can argue and discuss and think scripturally. Now, as I've said, I think that every one of us is going to find that we're wrong about something to do with eschatology. There's an awful lot that we don't know that, that, that we can't figure out until it happens. Um, so I wouldn't ask you to agree with me, but I would argue that uh, that my number one desire is to encourage you, well, to look up, to know that Jesus will return and we should be encouraged by that, but also to study the scriptures for yourselves. Um, Isaiah, Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel and other passages and become very conversant with biblical prophecy because God wrote these things for us. Again, I've, I've moved in circles where it was, to, to take an interest in prophecy was despised. Um, to say that there was a greater fulfillment of um, Ezekiel 13, 80, uh, 38 and 39 was despised. I think what these people were really saying, they were afraid it might be true. Um, that's really a fruit of unbelief. Anyway, so uh, any questions, any comments? Um, Greetings. Um, um, I'm going to have another sip of water. Yes, John sixteen thirteen. I'll read that because um, because you quoted that, Marcus. John sixteen thirteen. Um, John 16, 13, uh, and it says, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is going to show us things to come. Now, that means several things. First of all, it means that he gave perfect inspiration to those who wrote the books of Scripture, showing us things to come. John, for example, writing Revelation. Um, but also it means that we need the Holy Spirit's help to understand Scripture correctly. Now, those who wrote Scripture had perfect inspiration, so what they wrote was perfect, inerrant, infallible. Now, we will have the Holy Spirit's help, but we still have to be aware that we can make mistakes and errors. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit's help, we are bound to end up in error. And if God isn't teaching us through his word and I'm going to say there are groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses and others who approach the word of God in a completely dead, unspiritual way, without the unction, without the help of the Holy Spirit. They're bound to be led into error. Uh, they're bound to be led away from the truth because while Scripture itself, we call it, when we say that Scripture is inerrant, what we mean is that Scripture won't lead you or me into error. So if I read Scripture and I fall into error, the fault doesn't lie with Scripture, it lies with me. Um, scripture is inerrant. It does not lead us into error. Yet many have come to the scripture and they have fallen into error. And two errors in particular are believing that the Bible isn't the word of God. Um, and the other is believing that Jesus isn't God, that he's just um, a created being. And those are two very big errors, which people easily fall into um, despite reading the Bible, because they don't have the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. 
On the other hand, I'm always very concerned when I come across somebody who said, I know this is right and the rest of you are wrong because I have the Holy Spirit and God showed me that it was this, this and this. And there's no end of those people putting up videos on YouTube. Um, if I wanted to get lots more people listening to this, all I would have to do is to say what others say is, I had a dream last night and God showed me what's about to happen and you need to know it. And if I put up something like that, I could get hundreds of thousands of hits probably. Um, but if I teach the Bible, then there's less people who want to hear that. They want the sensational. No, I, I haven't really got the time of day for people who say I had a dream and this is what's going to happen because one by one, they're all proven wrong. Uh, and um, we need to get back to the scriptures. We need to get back to the word of God. Uh, and scripture has everything we need by way of truth, but it needs to be applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And there is always room for us to read and reread and learn more. Um, I, I myself, I've got a huge amount more to learn about these passages. Um, just looking at it, and there's a great deal more um, to understand um, about the events around the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather say I'm uncertain. Um, I've put before you the idea that it's all one war, but uh, I can't be certain about that. But it, it seems to me there's evidence to support that and there's evidence against it. Um, let's think for ourselves and let's ask for more light from the Holy Spirit and keep studying. Um, yes, thank God that he brought you out of that Soli Deo Gloria and uh, get under good teaching of God's word. Um, sit under expository teaching of God's word um, and uh, you won't need you won't need uh, modern prophets and you won't need um, uh, uh, dreams and interpretations of dreams. If you're under God's word, you have everything you need to understand. And it's getting into God's word. Um, one of some of you asked me to, to, to speak upon cessationism, and I'm going to do that soon, um, although not immediately when I finish this series, but um, I'm going to do that soon. But one of the things I found is that uh, when it comes to the modern charismatic movement, there's nothing there that satisfies my heart. But when I sit under the preaching of God's word or I turn to the Bible, I find that immediately satisfies my heart. Um, and that's because I'm getting fed and because I can be sure of what I'm listening to, that is the word of God. Uh, whereas all of these other things invariably are either trivial or they're wrong or they're you know, extravagant or... They're designed to um, draw people in or whatever, but they just don't lack, they lack any foundation in God's word, the Bible. This book, the Bible, is complete. And because it's complete, it's got everything in it that we need in this day. Everything about prophecy in this book is what God wants us to know. There are things like the seven thunders that we don't know. God doesn't want us to know that. It's not his will that we should know that. So we need to be aware that there are things we don't know, uh, which aren't in the Bible. But what we don't know, we don't need to know. God has given us everything that we need to know, but we need to be students of it. We need to dig. We need to get into the word and we need to um, study it uh, and gain understanding. And I have to do that so much more myself. Um, so dear Gloria, they are forever seeking new revelation and adding to the Bible. Well, they are. They claim they're not. So dear Gloria, but they claim they're not. But they are. The question is, what do I believe? And um, uh, I, 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 and. It's very dangerous, very dangerous for us to, 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 to put something in the category of new revelation. If somebody claims to have a prophecy, then the only way you can test it is by the scripture. But if you can test it by the scripture, then you don't need a prophecy because the scripture is telling you what's right and what's correct um, and uh, tells you everything that you need to know. It's when we want more details and we want details about our own lives and things like that, that we 
tend to stray um, and we almost end up in the, the uh, camp of looking for soothsayers and palmistry and things like that. And that's, that's the level it's at. The scripture tells us everything God wants us to know, but our job is to get into the scripture and learn it. And we can't do that without the Holy Spirit's help. So when we read the Bible, we do very well when we pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would help us to understand it and to grow in it. Justin Peters is great, Jason. If, if any of you haven't been to Justin Peters' channel, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, Long for Truth, one is also a very good channel. Both of these expose charismatic um, teachers um, uh, quite fairly. They expose them for the extravagant claims that they make and the foolish um, uh, misuse of scripture that they um, show. Uh, and how multitudes go after them uh, and they have private jets and Rolls Royces and things like that and uh, people love it and uh, um, I think that um, the latest video by Justin Peters is one on Benny Hinn has Benny Hinn really repented and Benny Hinn is still asking people for money their last dollar their last dime um, so that if they give the money to him uh, then uh, God will make them rich and many many people have um, fallen for it and I can tell you that, um, that, that that's, that's not how God works. Um, you can't, you, this, is, this is just enriching false prophets. Now, um, I, I, well, I could say more about Benny Hinn, but uh, um, just that I don't think that, this, that the man is not of God, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, But so many people will go after such teachers because they can produce some supposed signs and wonders and and i i was at a benny hinn meeting in london many years ago when he just blew into the microphone and 200 people fell flat on their backs now there's something behind that but that isn't god that's not god i'm sure of that because the man isn't of god um but people will say because that happened then that must be the holy spirit no that's not the holy spirit no that's not how he works So somebody, Doreen Virtue is good too. So I haven't come across Doreen Virtue solely, dear Gloria, but um, somebody who's come out of the New Age has had a great deliverance out of the idea that um, everything is God and we can become gods. Um, and uh, if, if you're, uh, yes, ex-Pentecostal, well, that's 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 um, also uh, interesting. Um, and uh, I've heard that the apostolic, not the apostolic, was it the is it the Elium have departed from the gospel? I don't know. That doesn't mean, I think I think many of the Pentecostals are truly Christians, no question about that. But I would question the validity of their experience in many areas. Uh, but as again, this is a, for another talk. We need to get back into the word of God. We need to get back into the truth, which is the Bible, the, the more sure word of prophecy, the, the, the infallible word of God. That's our safety. That's our that's our sure ground that we do that. And again, if we come to prophecy, um, if I um, if I put up a video that said I can prophesy that the, about the Battle of Armageddon and thus saith the Lord, and then I spout something, and I can tell you all kinds of things which have come from my own mind uh, or, or somewhere worse. Well, I wonder what's worse than my own mind. But um, that um, that uh, this that, that lots of people will follow me. They want an easy ride. They want the sensational. They want the dramatic. Well, if you want the sensational, you can read Revelation. And um, uh, it's extraordinary, but it's not just sensational. It's glorious. It's truthful. It's accurate. It's extraordinary. It's more sure. But it 
but understanding it, interpreting it, there's some that we won't understand right now. So we can't interpret it until it happens. But as time goes on, God will give us more light. And remember, there was that prophecy in Daniel that's sealed up till the time of the end. And these, the prophecy of Daniel sealed up until the time of the end. So there's lots in the book of Daniel that will be unsealed at the time of the end. And maybe, maybe that's what we're seeing now, that these things are starting to be unsealed so that we can understand things that Patrick Fairburn, for example, couldn't understand in 1861. In 1861, Patrick Fairburn said um, he could believe that Israel would return to the land. Well done, sir. You're correct. They have returned to the land. But he couldn't possibly believe that there would be such a great battle because that would involve the death of 360 million soldiers. And yet Revelation does talk about an army of 200 million men. And we know that um, that, that many soldiers could be fielded from the east uh, and so we have more light than patrick fairburn because we can see things now which he couldn't see we can see um digital currencies and implantable microchips without which nobody can buy or sell and you might disagree that that's the mark of the beast but it seems to be the leading candidate at the moment so we have more light these things are gradually becoming unsealed and um sometimes we're proven wrong uh, Lance, not Lance Lambert, Lance Lambert wrote about Israel. I'm not sure that he wrote about prophecy. I can't remember. But um, uh, Hal Lindsay uh, Im implied that the Lord Jesus would return in the 1970s or 80s, and he didn't. So sometimes we're wrong. But, um, but nevertheless, these prophecies will be fulfilled. And we are seeing things in our day that we cannot ignore. And, of course, it's, an excuse, it's not an excuse. It's a, it is a compelling argument for us to go out and preach Christ Jesus to those who are perishing. And by the way, I was out yesterday preaching in Kidderminster here, and there were five people who sat through nearly the whole message and I had a good conversation with them afterwards. Uh, I, I didn't record the conversation, but I have put up the, the sermon on uh, Sermon Audio at sermonaudio.com uh, under my name, um, if anyone's interested. I've also put up a new Spurgeon on Sermon Audio, if anyone's interested. A, a wonderful, wonderful sermon by Spurgeon um, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, extraordinary sir, Spurgeon sermon. Um, Jason, the world has gone crazy, and I think that's probably a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Um, and uh, yes, primarily we're getting fed from the Word of God, and I'm getting fed from the Word of God too. So thank you for listening, and God be with us. Uh, any any last comments? Um, uh, any further questions or anything um, you'd like to say? Any strong criticisms? Any um, any alternative views? Um, I think I think I think what I find difficult is when people read Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine combined with Romans eleven and say God has no further plan for Israel. I think that is. That is one example of going plainly against the exact meaning of the text. People do. I know plenty of them. But but I think that's more an unwillingness to accept that the Bible actually does say something about the days in which we're living and a refusal to believe that actually God is still working in the world in the way that he does. Uh, I find that very hard to understand. God has got great purposes for Israel. He's got great purposes for the Jews, but they can't see it yet. Rita, the Lord bless you. Thank you for praying for me, Rita. And God bless you in Australia and our other Australian friends. Um, Rita, I'm, 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 uh, I'm encouraged by your comments. Thank you, Rita. Um, Miriam, thank you as well. Um, and yes, well, again, I think we should all be encouraged to read the Bible more and more and more as, as time goes on. Um, uh, and um, in 
in Daniel, it says that people, uh, talking about days just like these, it says the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Well, we want to be strong and do exploits. We don't, don't just want to be uh, passive in such a situation. If we want to stand up and be counted for the Lord Jesus Christ, the people that do know their God, that's people who know the Bible. Uh, and the more we know the Bible, the more we know God. That's how we find out who God is. And the more that's written on our hearts, it goes deep down into our hearts, our soul, our being, um, the, the closer we walk with God and the more we understand. Um, Psalm 133, Marcus says, um, yes. Well, the Lord be with us all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for praying for this ministry. I appreciate that. Uh, it is my intention to go out and preach in the open air again, um, God willing, tomorrow. Um, as I said, there have been a couple of times when I said I would and it didn't happen, but I'm, I hope to. Um, I hope to be out in the open air at least three times a week. The evangelism is an extremely important part of my ministry um, and would that God would raise up many more evangelists and would that he would bless those who are preaching the gospel in these days. Um, but uh, I value your prayers. God be with us all. Amen. Now I just need to find out how to switch it off. Oh, there it is. Yep. Amen. <laughs>